0: Death will come to us all, this is certain. And yet, there seems to be so much stigma, taboo, fear and difficulty surrounding this inevitable part of life. I'm Sultran, and this is What About Death? Everything you wanted to know about death, but were afraid to ask. Thank you for listening to What About
1: Death podcast, brought to you by karuna.org.au. As you enjoyed today's episode, we would love it if you could follow, subscribe, and give us a star rating. Hopefully five stars. We'll be posting new episodes every two weeks, so be sure to check back and let your friends and family know where they can find us too.
0: In today's episode of What About Death?, I speak with Dr. Jackie Campbell from Sunset Vets in South East Queensland, who shares her experience as a specialist palliative care veterinarian. Dr. Campbell tells us about the value and the importance of providing good quality palliative care support for our much-loved pets as they draw near to their end of life, whether as a result of old age or illness. So I'd like to welcome today Dr. Jackie Campbell, who is the Director and Palliative Care Veterinarian at the Sunset Home Veterinary Care Clinic, which is or are available uh, in Brisbane, Australia, also on the Sunshine and the Gold Coast. So thank you very much, uh, uh, Dr. Campbell, for joining me today. Oh, pleasure to be here. So uh, the very first question that I ask all of my guests is, what is your first Recollection, memory, experience of death?
1: Well, look, I've uh, always been around animals and probably part of the reason, I suppose, why I am now a vet. So definitely it would have been a, a pet. That was my first kind of introduction to the concept of death you know I had uh, you know really supportive parents I guess who very much allowed me always even as a very young child to be involved in any decision making and uh, involved in in, you know the lead up to the loss of a pet so for me it it was a pet. I also vividly remember my grandmother being involved in in her care towards the end of of her life as dementia uh, set in and so that was sort of a, a period of my life where I sort of really remember that process and, and some of the conversations around her care in the lead up to, to her passing. It's always been, I guess, very aware that it, it is a part of, of life. Um, and, you know, I would say that my, my interest in, in palliative care really came professionally later, um, but I, I never had a, an aversion to being involved in, in conversations around, you know, death and dying even at an
0: early age. So was there a particular catalyst or something that occurred that uh, moved you to go into the field of palliative care for pets? Look, I was practising as a
1: a general practitioner um, in sort of a small animal practice. I had done a few other things in in my early career, including, you know, working with larger animals um, straight out of university. Uh, But I was really lucky in the sense that the the particular practice that I worked at, my boss at the time had a a personal interest in uh, musculoskeletal health and in, in pain management. And we were blessed in the sense that we had a sort of longer consultation. Consultation times And within that, we, we certainly had great client relationships. And there definitely were a few key cases that I, I now remember where I felt like as a, a medical system, we weren't really doing enough to support those patients in the end stages. But equally, we, we maybe weren't doing enough to support clients as well, so supporting them with decision making. So for me, it was very much um, sort of a, a learning about uh, particularly chronic pain management that, that sparked my interest in, in the field of palliative care. And I went down a bit of a rabbit hole around chronic pain treatment options. Uh, And that then very naturally kind of led into the palliative care space, which is is what I do exclusively now. So our team just do palliative and in-stage care.
0: What exactly is palliative care for pets?
1: Look, very similar, I suppose, to what it is in in the human healthcare space. It's really um, about shifting our goals for whatever treatment we are implementing. So we're much more focused on the management of of symptoms as opposed to the actual treatment of of that disease. Uh, So it's about comfort focused care, particularly pain management. And then we also, I guess, by default of having that patient owner relationship, we obviously have this care responsibility medically for our patients and doing the best we can to make sure that their quality of life is uh, as good as it can be. But we then also need to obviously care for, for clients around the decision-making. And one of the really unique things about being a vet is that we we obviously have sometimes very active decisions to make around euthanasia, and it's certainly something as medicine advances as there are more and more treatment options that we can uh, reach for for our pets to extend their life and make their lives better. We also need to, to have, you know, really good support for families that, that are needing to make those very heavy end-of-life decisions at times. So, you know, our team, I think, certainly see that as, as both a privilege and a responsibility. And whilst all veterinarians absolutely do practice palliative care in their day-to-day work and all veterinarians are involved in those conversations and those decisions with families, what we try to do is... is focus in on demedicalizing some of that process and helping people to remember that, that, you know, this can be a really special and important time. We need to get the patient care right, but we also need to help them remember the things that are really important about having pets in our lives.
0: So what sort of things influence you, I guess, in terms of your advice to the owners of pets who are terminally ill or have some sort of end of life experience euthanizing versus following a a palliative care process leading to a natural death? What are the circumstances and how do you advise people?
1: Yeah, so look, every case obviously is, is very individual um, and certainly it depends uh, on the, the, the sort of disease process that we're faced with with that patient. It very much also depends, I think, on the individual personality of the pet. And this is something which uh, you know can get missed in the, the kind of broader healthcare system where we're very much disease-focused. Uh, when we start to, to pull these patients out of the hospital environment we start to ask a lot more questions around. Let's try and get a handle on on what decisions might be right for your individual pet. Um, so, if we're faced with an ailment, some pets will cope much better with that particular ailment than others and obviously that has a direct impact on quality of life and and quality of life decision making therefore when we talk about the conversation of of sort of progressing towards natural death versus euthanasia there's certainly you know a whole host of conversations that need to be had and, and if we have time for it in the progression of that that pet's disease we try to circle back on that conversation a few times so one of the 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 really important things about you know, being in a palliative care environment is, is giving families enough time to grapple with and reconcile any decisions that we're going to make uh, for their pet. The reality for most um, of, our, of our animal patients uh, is that the majority of those patients, the journey will still end in euthanasia. There are really very few situations where we are able to reach natural death in a way where there isn't excessive suffering for that pet. And there's a few things that that when I'm talking to families, I, I always find are, are really important to note because we often have that, that comment made, I just want them to pass peacefully and I want them to pass naturally. And there's two points on that. One is that for a lot of our companion animals, our dogs and cats, By the time we're reaching the ages of 15, 16, sometimes 20, that situation in itself really is very far from a natural situation. So in the wild environment, these animals really are, you know, succumbing to either injury or illness at a much, much younger age. And the natural process of things is that that will happen much more rapidly. So they will have an injury or illness and and death will come much more quickly than if they are supported by human care and, and human medical intervention. So we are creating a bit of an unnatural environment for our aged pets. Now, That's not a bad thing in any way, but it does come with a responsibility to think about the the ethics of, of that and the concept for our pets of prolonged many months and many years periods of suffering is not actually something that we see in in the wild, unsupported natural environment. So that's a conversation that we will often have with families. And sometimes that does spark a bit of a a rethink on this. I want a natural death for my pet, even if we know physiologically that there is a degree of suffering occurring and, and, and many families will then look at euthanasia as a way of alleviating that suffering that is becoming excessive uh, for that pet. The other thing is that often uh, achieving death naturally in a peaceful way can be very challenging, and and we know that this occurs also uh, in some capacity with some disease states in people. Um, It often really does require a fair amount of intervention So one of the challenges there, I suppose, is we need to make sure if we're we're opting for that choice, we have the capacity to to deliver that care with enough intensity to make sure we're managing those symptoms. So a really important conversation to have and and where palliative care sits, I suppose, is helping families in, in, in this capacity to understand their options and making sure we're delivering all of the comfort options and the medication options we can to keep them as comfortable as is possible.
0: So, you provide palliative care in the home. So, what you're doing is you're helping people to keep their pets, you know, at home for as long as they possibly can. So, how do you think that influences the relationship that people have with their pets when they have a life limiting uh, ailment and they're coming towards end of life in terms of their grief and their loss?
1: Yeah, look, I think for most families, The option of being at home, both through the care period and and also, you know, as death is approaching or as that euthanasia decision is being taken, uh, I think most people, you know, value the opportunity to, to not have that process overly medicalised. Obviously, there are situations where you know, we, we need our, our animal hospitals and, and we need that level of intervention to keep that patient comfortable. But there are obviously lots of situations where, where we can minimise that hospitalisation for these pets. So I think definitely the key thing that, that it delivers to families really is time, time to process, time to have those conversations both with us as as the professional team but also with other family members helping other family members to all be on the same discussion page around you know whatever choices that family is looking to make. So a bit of time, a bit of privacy comes from being in that home environment. For me, as, as a veterinarian, you know, the, the other real positive to that is that for these unwell or potentially painful patients, it also minimises, um, you know, just the logistical travel. And, and that can can definitely aggravate pain in, in some of these cases. So there's some benefits there, Um and obviously we are a home service, but we equally still do work very closely with the, the primary care veterinarian for that family. Uh, there are some things that can be done in the home environment really successfully and others where hospital intervention is, is still required. So it's really a balance if we're looking to do everything we can for that pet. And often there's a, a combination of, of health care teams involved in that patient's
0: care. What have you seen in terms of the development of your practice, um, the palliative care practice and the -the in-the-home care? What have you seen as being the major differences between having a veterinary practice that goes to people's homes versus, you know, a centrally located veterinary practice?
1: Yeah. So look, definitely, even in in my career, um, there's been a significant uh, shift in the role that our pets play in people's lives, and um, you know, particularly in the last kind of period of time, with with a lot of people spending much more time at home and more time with their pets. Um, I think you know we really are now are understanding and appreciating how important pets are to people so you know there's definitely more and more families where when a pet becomes unwell they are much more open to discussions around advanced treatment options uh, and one of the things that that you know I always find interesting and, and I think it's important for people to know is that the animal healthcare space is as advanced in in so many ways as the human healthcare space. So, you know, we now have access to chemotherapy, radiotherapy, you know, very advanced treatment options for in-stage diseases, and we can do very, very well at keeping those patients comfortable. So I've seen a bit of a shift and a change in the choices that people are prepared to make, and they seem also much more comfortable with being the active caregivers. So, you know, they are prepared to take time off work or change schedules and and do the physical hands-on delivery of care. So one of the things that we do as as a mobile palliative care team is often helping to kind of empower families to do that hands-on care. Whereas perhaps, you know, previously a lot of that caring was done in the hospital, the patient is hospitalised for a period of time, and it's being done by the, the veterinary and the nursing teams. We've got very committed owners, I guess, uh, and families that will do anything for their pets, and, and that's definitely been a bit of a shift.
0: So what have been the most prominent challenges for you? Because this is not mainstream, I guess, or it certainly it hasn't been mainstream. So what have been your, your greatest challenges in bringing a mobile palliative care service to people? Yeah, look, it's a, it's an
1: interesting one. Um, it's not mainstream, and yet in some ways it is mainstream. I think veterinarians have always practiced palliative care. They have always, you know, right from day one on the job, being faced with helping families through decision making, helping families through that that actual euthanasia. Procedure. So we have always, as an industry, always been very, uh, I guess, closely tied to the concepts of palliative care and keeping our pets comfortable. What I suppose we are looking to do as a mobile team is essentially create an environment where we can slow the conversation down. So what we do that is probably a little different to what happens in practice is we create enough time for people to work through what they need to ask us and what they need guidance on. And that can be very difficult in, in busy practices that have got a high caseload. Uh, so it can be done in practice and, and we're seeing more and more um, hospitals that are looking at ways that they can implement a more focused palliative plan into the hospital day. But really what we're, we're sort of aiming to buy for families is, is additional time for us to work through the care decisions that are on the table uh, and to really approach it as a, as a team, like as a team event. So we will be involved in, obviously, the patient care, but we will also be involved in support and counselling for the families. We will be involved in uh, referral and the integration of other care professionals. So things like animal physios, um, things like groomers that are able to manage elderly or debilitated patients. There's lots of, uh, I guess, A team approach similar to what happens in human palliative care to making sure that we're supporting that patient as best as we possibly can.
0: It sounds like uh, you provide a very compassionate service, which is lovely to hear, of course. The patient is the animal. I mean, most of your connection is actually going to be with their owners. So tell me about your experience working with owners response, reaction to the death of their pet. How do you see that? Look, I think that for many people,
1: it surprises them uh, at how difficult it is. We see, you know, the whole spectrum, I suppose, of, of grief responses from people that, you know, are okay and understanding that this is is the process for you know it's almost the price of admission I guess for having a pet is that they will one day age and and die. Um, so some of our, our our clients are obviously you know okay with that process right through to family members that are incredibly distressed and absolutely suffering from quite complicated grief. We've definitely approached this as we need to be supporting these families well. And what we do is, is connect in with uh, you know counsellors and psychologists to support those family members. So there's obviously a key role that the veterinary team plays in those conversations and leading those conversations. But it's also really important that I think we know where our skill set lies and what we endeavour to do within Sunset Vets is make sure that that those referral pathways exist. One of the things that we also recognise is that a lot of other practices also struggle with this. So we do offer counselling services that other veterinary clinics can refer their clients to us and we'll connect those people with support because it is a big thing for a lot of people. It can be something that takes a very long time to process and to get through. Uh, And it's not uncommon for us to to sort of connect back in with a client that we had supported a year or two previously, and we'll suddenly get a call or an email just giving us a bit of an update on, on where they're at and how their journey has gone after the loss of a pet. So there's a lot that we can do, I guess, to sort of change that conversation around what support should be given and delivered to families going through this. But the other really important thing that we've noticed is that in general, families who are well supported in the lead up to the loss of a pet seem to also do better in, in the days following. So, you know, we, we feel that having that, that adequate support uh, during the decision-making time uh, can really help, I guess, particularly around this, this concept of guilt. So again, the unique piece of, of the veterinary space is that there is that euthanasia decision that is often made. It's a certain type of grief to, to have a trauma or an accident and lose a pet. It's a different type of grief often to have made or feel like you have made an active decision around the, the loss of that pet. And that's something that's, I think, quite unique to pet loss and pet loss grief. Uh, So we certainly refer specifically to supporting team members that that's their expertise is is pet loss.
0: And how do you think your work over the years in, in palliative care for pets has influenced your own view of dying and death?
1: Oh, good question. Look, I certainly feel very privileged to be involved in conversations and decisions around pets and, and people's family members. And you know, I, I feel that it's absolutely made me more comfortable and maybe in some ways more hopeful around the the positive moments that can occur in that period of time. You know, I think a lot of veterinarians, we have a lot of exposure to death on a daily basis. And obviously, sometimes that is quite a traumatic process for veterinarians and anyone in the animal caregiving space to, to deal with. When we're working, oftentimes with clients in a palliative sense, it does allow us a bit more time often to sort of sit and be in the space with those families. And often that's in some ways where a bit of the magic can happen. Uh, And we we certainly feel very privileged, I suppose, to be witness to that at times.
0: To my final question, uh, Dr. Campbell, we are often quite afraid of the idea of death as individuals, I mean, where you know, there's uh, to some degree even phobic about talking about death and talking about dying. So how do you think it helps a person when they have the experience of being with their pet, they become ill, go through the, the disease process and the dying process from a palliative perspective? How do you think that influences the fear that people might have around death?
1: Yeah, look, I think one of the things that we're often faced with when people first connect with us and and connect with our support team, often via phone, um, is they will often have a fear about what next. So a lot of the work that we do initially with the families is verbalising the process for what palliative care is, what the benefits of it can be and also preparing them for what that death phase may look like for them and we definitely find through communication um, that that fear does start to dissipate and alleviate and we certainly in the room if we are you know with a family for a euthanasia appointment and we are initially doing some, some pain relief and some sedation for that animal, often the conversation that occurs in that time is one of, I didn't realise it, it could be this gentle and it, it, I was very frightened to be here in this moment and now that I'm here, it's not at all what I thought it would be. So that's been really an interesting reflection and, you know, not uncommon uh, for us to hear people verbalise, this is how I'd like to go out. And what I think that we can maybe take from that is that more conversation and more time and preparation with families absolutely does help to alleviate some of the fear and certainly approaching that moment, you know, as you say, with with compassion, it doesn't take a huge amount of time when the family is witnessing that for them to become much more comfortable than they were prior with the decisions that are being taken for their pet. So, look, conversation is, is definitely where it starts and, and a lot of that fear can be alleviated by understanding, you know, what's likely to come next, which certainly, you know, more open community discussions like this one I think are, are really helpful uh, and, you know, we're really pleased to play even a small role for some families in talking about pet death because it definitely does have a bit of a flow-on effect to, to conversations that they might have with family members about their own mortality as well, I
0: think that's the interesting thing is that it's all connected, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. That we can uh, talk about it, then hopefully the less discomfort uh, people will experience.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, it's it's a conversation starter. If, if we have a pet uh, that has passed, often the, the conversations within the family unit for the days and weeks following is is sometimes about. Their own mortality, uh, which is often often a positive thing, I suppose, to have people talking about in some capacity. Indeed.
0: All right. Well, look, I really just wanted to say thank you and congratulations on the work that you do. I think it's a really important area of veterinary care. So I'm very thankful that you gave us some time today to talk more about palliative care for pets. So thank you very much. And hopefully uh, we'll get to talk to you again at some point in the future. My pleasure. We'd love to be involved. Thank you so much. Please join me for our next episode of What About Death when I speak with Dr. John Troyer from the Centre of Death and Society at the University of Bath in the United Kingdom. Dr. Troyer tells us his views on the taboo and fear surrounding death and the social and political implications of how we perceive and respond to dying and death, whether as individuals or as a society. I look forward to your company then. Thank you for listening to What About Death podcast brought to you by
1: karuna.org.au. Don't forget that we have more to look forward to with new episodes dropping every two weeks. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a star rating, hopefully five stars. And remember to follow, subscribe and tell your
0: friends and family about us too.